Please turn in your Bibles to John 14, John chapter 14, uh, beginning at verse 22. Let's jump right into our passage this morning, John 14, verse 22. It's printed on your uh, bulletin program for today. If you uh, don't have your Bibles with you, the words will also be up on the screen. John 14, verse 22, reading through the end of the chapter. Then Judas which we know better as Jude, the Apostle Jude. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, they will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace. I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. This is the very Word of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord, Jude asks Jesus, Why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Now, what a practical question that Jude asks, isn't it? It's a practical question. And for us today, too, it's deeply ironic. Ironic because that's precisely what Jesus intends to do, right? To show himself to the world. But for Jude and those first disciples... Here at the Passover meal, the night before Jesus dies, it's a very practical question on Jude's heart. Jesus, we've seen you, we know you, and it's been awesome. You're awesome. Why not show yourself to the world? How's the world going to see you? How's the world going to know you if you leave? Lord, what about the world? It's a great question that Jude asks. And practically speaking, it seems impossible, doesn't it? To be, to be seen and known if you're not around to be seen and known. Right? It's like that question, if a tree falls in a forest and no one is there to hear it, does it make a sound sort of question? Yes? Maybe not. If Jesus leaves before the world sees him and knows him, how can he be seen and known? Jude asks. See, 
The disciples, they're all set. They're all set. Just before we began reading in John 14, Jesus promises them the Holy Spirit. A counselor, the NIV says. The Greek, the Greek word rendered counselor in English is a technical legal term. And so think advocate, like a lawyer is an advocate in a court of law, that sort of counselor. And so the disciples are all set. If you love me, Jesus says to them, you will obey my commands and you will receive the Holy Spirit, this counselor, this spirit of truth, Jesus tells them. And you know, so far the disciples may even be tracking here with Jesus. In their scriptures, in their day, the Hebrew scriptures, what today we call the Old Testament, there are several stories I'm sure the disciples knew very well where the spirit of someone is passed on to his followers when he leaves. Moses and Elijah come to mind. They do this respectively for Joshua and Elisha. And even more often in Old Testament times are instances where the Holy Spirit Himself comes and anoints and empowers people for special tasks. And so, perhaps more perplexing to the disciples than the promise of the Holy Spirit to them once Jesus leaves is the question Jude asks. All right, Jesus, that takes care of us, but what about the world? And oh, my friends, when Jesus answers that question what a difference a pronoun makes in verse 15 jesus tells the disciples if you love me he says to the disciples you get the spirit and in response to jude's question the first thing out of jesus mouth when jude asks lord what about the world jesus makes the stunning statement if anyone loves me they get the holy spirit wow what about the world indeed And I imagine those disciples' eyes becoming wider yet at that remarkable, unprecedented statement. Jesus' Spirit is for anyone who loves and obeys Jesus' teaching. The mystery of the Gospel right before our eyes in John 14, that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. You may recall John wrote that too. And so the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, God Himself is not only for Jesus' first disciples, but for anyone who loves and obeys Jesus, including you and me. We'll come back to that in a bit, but I want to pause here to talk to you about something that we Christians call the Trinity. One can't help but notice the emphasis in John 14 on the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three are there in this chapter in a big way. The word Father for God is repeated 23 times in 31 verses. The Son, Jesus, well, He's right there doing all of the teaching. And as He warms to His main point, if you will, in chapter 14 at least, Jesus tells them about the gift of the Holy Spirit for them and for all. Who love Him. The Trinity, this union, or better said, unity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the, the Holy Spirit, this unity has call, caused no small stir in the church over the centuries. You see on the screen before you 
A short list, even, of teachings on the Trinity the church has identified as false. I mean, look at all of them. Right? By sheer chance or probability, most of us, at least, at one time or another, have found ourselves heretics when it comes to the Trinity, I'm sure, right? I mean, I'm kidding, but maybe not. Look at all of them. So this morning, we're going to take a detailed look at each one of them. <laughs> God bless you. You even paused a bit before laughing. Is this serious? Not really. Praise God. Amen? Oh, see, now you say amen. Yeah. Time doesn't allow this morning, although while I was gone, I heard that someone not to be named, John Burns, spread a rumor that my sermons average 82 minutes long. So maybe I need to live up to that rumor. So beginning at the top, adoptionism. No. No, for the sake of time this morning, let's take a look at the basics at least of the Trinity and then I'll give you a few illustrations hopefully that will help you to bring it home. As luck or providence would have it, the doctrine of the Trinity has three main points. It can be summarized in three points. First, There is one and only one God. Second, the one God eternally exists in three distinct persons. And third, the Father is God, Jesus the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. You need all three. If any teaching ignores or contradicts any of the three, you end up with one of those heresies you saw listed earlier on the screen. Now, Over the years, many have tried to give illustrations for the Trinity. You you read in the literature, you look where you like. Almost everyone who's been looking also agrees that it's hard to find one, if not impossible, to find a perfect one. One of the more common illustrations, I would guess, especially this time of year around Easter, most of you, many of you have heard about this illustration. What am I talking about? What Easter symbol is often used to illustrate the Trinity? I heard it again. (laughs) Someone said bunny. No, not the bunny. (laughs) Both services. The first thing somebody shouted out was bunny. And I'm sitting there, bunny, how can the bunny look like the Trinity? It's got ears. That's the egg, right? You've heard it, the shell. You know, the egg white, the yolk, three different parts, three distinct parts, but one egg. Trinity goes the illustration. Many have noted, however, the the flaw in the egg illustration. It, it can it can take you towards something called tritheism, because the, those three parts of the egg are awfully different molecularly, their characteristics, their properties, a little too different from each other. Tritheism teaches that Trinity is really three separate gods. Our Mormon friends, for example, teach a tritheistic trinity. And bluntly, according to the Bible, they are mistaken. So much for the egg. Somebody got it over there? Ryan, you got it? Okay. You've played... Uh-oh. You've played, uh, you've played egg toss, right? Yeah. Matt McPherson has his hands up, throw it here. He doesn't see his wife next to him going. (laughs) All right, Ryan, let me get it to you. 
Nice. Very good. Give Ryan a hand. Is anybody sitting in the chair at first service? It didn't go so well. If you, no, okay. Another common illustration for the Trinity, right, is water. Have you heard that one? Water in each of its three main states, solid, liquid, and gas. Have you heard that one for Trinity? Okay. Water does a lot. That illustration, it does a lot to solve the tritheistic problem because water is still water, whether it's solid, liquid, or gas. They have different names for it, but molecularly it's still H2O. But the water illustration, many have pointed out, risks another heresy called modalism, another one on that big list. Modalism teaches that God is one person um, uh, only in three successive modes. He's never all three at the same time. And we've just learned, number two, that God eternally exists in all three persons of the Trinity. Okay, And, and also, even... Uh, while water is still water in, in all its three states, the properties or characteristics of each are still quite different, maybe a little too different to be a perfect illustration for the Trinity. The closest this one comes, uh, you've all seen it, I'm sure, the closest this one comes to being a pretty good illustration is this time of year around these parts when it snows really heavy on a hot tar road. Have you seen it? That road gets a little ice sheen on it. And then it's also wet, and there's steam rising from it. Whoa! Like right there, where like all three of those are at the same time. Okay, th- that's not a terrible uh, analogy for the Trinity, at least. So that's a pretty good one. And there are other common illustrations. My my favorite abstract, you know, thought illustration. Uh, it might be time, right? All of time uh, is one thing, but you've got past, present, and future. It's still a little bit separate because past isn't future, isn't present, unless you're a fan of the TV show Lost, and then they're all kind of... Maybe you have. Maybe you have your favorite Trinity illustration as well. I've no doubt some of you at least will share yours with me after the service, so I'm looking forward to that. My favorite favorite concrete, hands-on, experiential illustration of the Trinity is the banana. And I find, uh, it's hard to find it in any of the literature. The only reason I know it is I had uh, an old seminary professor years ago haul out the banana and use it as an illustration of the Trinity. So let's pick a good one and see if it works. It doesn't always work because you've got to find a banana that's the perfect ripeness. These are pretty green. But scientists will um, affirm this. This isn't just me making it up. But for whatever reason, if you peel a banana, you got it, Micah? How you doing, Micah? Good? You hungry? Feel good, yeah. Micah likes bananas. You guys can see over there. If you take a banana and you peel it, and if you can find right where that perfect spine is and you put pressure on that spine what a banana will do always is it will break right down that spine yeah 
It'll always break in three perfect wedges. Isn't that cool? You see that? Yeah. Only my wife truly knows how thrilled I am that this banana worked. I have 30 bananas of all different shapes and sizes and ripeness on the counter at home. Tried 12 last night. None of them worked. Went and found a little bit of greener banana and ones that are organic. And, and one that is organic. So it worked a little bit easier with this one. But every banana will always break right down the middle in three parts. Now what I like about it is the banana is in the same state, right? It's, there are three equal parts, and it's all banana. It's the same stuff that makes up each one, yes? And it's all banana all the time, each one of them, and then together it's still all banana all the time. Pretty cool? Am I making your job hard, Micah? Yeah. Who knows? I'll ask God one day, did you intend the banana to be a brilliant illustration for the Trinity? We'll ask him one day. And you teachers, if you want to use one that's popular with kids, um, this is a good one because after you're done explaining how this works with the Trinity, bring some ice cream, have a banana split with the class, and teach them that the Word of God is as sweet as honey, and God even tastes good. He's so sweet. And you can also use the banana to illustrate some other doctrines, um, at least. We'll do this with Micah. Okay. Don't miss this. Ready? Okay. Here's the doctrine of election. Okay, that's election. You got it? Right again, you meant, okay, that, this is election, and then Micah, you've accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, amen? Okay, yep. here's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, right? Okay, let's go, Micah, go. give Micah a hand. And he can... So, Jesus promises that anyone who loves and obeys him will receive the Holy Spirit. And given the Trinity, they will receive very, fully, completely God. Do we fully appreciate and live that, my friends? Jude's question, Lord, what about the world? The answer to his question is, God dwells in anyone who believes. God dwells in us. And so how is it the world sees and knows Jesus? You've seen this coming, I'm sure. How is it the world sees and knows God? The answer is the world sees and knows God in and through us because He's in us. As my teenage students would say or ask, for real? I say, yes, for real. God Himself is in us for real. And oh, my friends, God has been after this union to recover it between us and Him since it all fell apart in Genesis 3. And so at first he came and dwelt with his people in Tabernacle, a big tent. But that wasn't good enough. He loves us so much. And so he came and he made a more permanent place for himself, the temple in Jerusalem. But that wasn't good enough either, even in all of its splendor. And so he came to us in in person, himself, in flesh and blood, as one of us, Jesus Christ. But you know what? Even that wasn't close enough for God. He loves us so much and wants perfect union with us so much that He now dwells in us. And brothers and sisters in Christ, with God in us, we are very nearly, we're tasting it even, that ultimate day that is still on God's agenda and is still His plan, that day that will last forever and ever and ever. Amen. 
the day that God promised through the likes of Ezekiel when he said, My dwelling, God said, will be with my people, I will be their God, and they will be my people. John, echoing Ezekiel, wrote about it in Revelation 2, when he heard the voice of God himself booming from the throne of God, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And I wonder if this indwelling of the Holy Spirit, where we in fact are God's temple, where He resides in us, I wonder if that was at least in part when Jesus, what Jesus meant when He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. That perfect and complete and forever union between God and His people. And P.S., don't miss the us part when it comes to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us. And through us for the world to see and know God in Christ Jesus. Yes, I believe the Bible says each individual Christian receives the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Amen. But don't forget Jesus' own words. Don't forget Jesus' own words that where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. And so while each of us in Christ receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, God, delights purposes to make His presence known, first and foremost, at least, in and through community. And it's really tough to have a community of one individual. If you try too hard to have a community of one individual, they come and take you, put you in one of those jackets and take you away for a little talk. It takes two for a community, at least. Two or three in Jesus' words. And so here we sit. Today, God actually and for real living in us right now, right here in this room this morning, the power and presence of Almighty God is here living in you, living in us. He's here. Wow! I mean, and I don't know, do we fully appreciate or even believe that? It's like, He is, He's here today, right now, with us and in us. So here we sit with the presence, literally, for real, of Almighty God in and among us. And maybe you might be asking, at least I did at this point, well, what now? What now with all the power of Almighty God? Maybe your first thought might be, you know what? There are a few people I'd like to smite. Let's go smiting. No. Vengeance is mine, said the Lord. He'll worry about smiting. Jude's question gives us the answer of what now? His answer is, or the answer is in Jude's question. The what now is the world. Go get them! In love! Go and get them! And if you want to know how to go get them, Jesus gives us two primary examples right here in John 14. What now? First, love and obedience. The key to reaching the world is love and obedience. Loving obedience, or obedient love even, if you will. Did you catch what Jesus says at the end of our passage this morning? Jesus says... The world must learn. What must the world learn? 
The world must learn, he says, that I love the Father. How? I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. No doubt Jesus is talking about the cross the next day. No doubt. But don't miss this. What about us? What's our task? That the world may know Jesus in and through us. And how will the world know Jesus? Through our love of God and by doing exactly what God has commanded us, just like Jesus, only in our time and context today. Loving and obeying God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our might. And loving ourselves as others. That, Jude, is how the world will see and know Jesus. And that, Jude, is and was and still is Jesus and Almighty God's intent today. Second, one huge way the world sees and knows Jesus through us is because we, like Jesus, bring peace, shalom, order in chaos, in the midst of chaos and sin and pain in our own lives in the world. Do not let your hearts be troubled, Jesus says to the disciples twice in John 14. And after the resurrection, how does Jesus greet the disciples in John? Shalom, he says. Peace be with you. He even greets doubting Thomas specifically with those words. Peace, Thomas, be with you and your doubt. There's an old parable that goes like this. A farmer's old dog falls into a dry well. After assessing the situation, the farmer sympathizes with the dog, but decides that neither the dog nor the well is worth the trouble of saving. So instead, sadly, tears running down his face, he plans to bury the dog in the well and put him out of his misery. When the farmer begins shoveling, initially the old dog panics. But then it dawns on the dog that every time a shovel load of dirt lands on his back, he can shake it off and step up. And this he does, blow after blow. Shake it off and step up. Shake it off and step up. Shake it off and step up. He repeats to encourage himself. And it isn't long before that dog, battered and exhausted, yes, but nevertheless steps triumphantly out of the well. What he thought would bury him actually benefited him all because of the way he handled adversity. The world sees and knows Jesus through us when we too, with God's help, and only with God's help truly, when we too shake it off and step up. As, trouble, as pain and trouble fall down on us, given the power and presence of God in us, Christians, more than anyone, are enabled by God to shake it off and to step up. Shake it off and step up. Peace in the midst of chaos. And a watching world can't help but notice, especially when it's combined with love and obedience. They can't help but notice and respect and even be impressed. How can you do that? The world may ask. Or in the words of a different famous person, look what's happening. Why don't you just curse God and die? How are you able to shake it off and step up? And why, you, why are you so loving and kind? And... Well, let me tell you, it ain't me. You can respond. It's Jesus. It's God. It's the Holy Spirit in and through me. Wouldn't you like to hear more about my Savior? He can be yours too. Just give the word.
The story of Jesus in the Gospels has been called the greatest story ever told. It's a great title for the story of Jesus. His story, his life, is indeed the greatest story ever told. But I want to suggest to you maybe an even better title for the story of Jesus. Maybe a better title for the story of Jesus is the greatest story ever still being told. And what I don't mean by this is because we still tell the story of Jesus, past tense, okay? Although we should. But what I mean by the greatest story ever still being told is that Jesus' story and ministry is still being told in and through our lives, through our stories. Don't forget how Luke opens the book of Acts. Luke says to his friend Theophilus that in his gospel, he wrote about all that Jesus began to do. Began to do? Luke wrote about birth, death, resurrection, and ascension. All done. Oh, really? Luke says that's all Jesus began to do. His life here on earth was only the beginning. And if only the beginning of the story of Jesus and His ministry, as Luke says, then what about the rest? Where's Paul Harvey and the rest of the story, right? The rest of Jesus' story. My friends... The rest of Jesus' story, the rest of the greatest story ever told, is still being told in and through us. We're the rest of Jesus' story. We're the ones called to continue His ministry, His life of love and obedience to God, and His life of love of others more than Himself. So the question I have for you today, one of them is, where are you in that story of Jesus? And if you're not sure... And I would encourage you to find your place in that story because there's a place in that story God has prepared for you. Find a community to join in with the greatest story ever still being told and help them tell it here in our community if you like and you're looking. We'd love to have you as we too take our place in the greatest story of Jesus ever still being told. If you haven't yet dedicated your life to Jesus, would you consider doing it today? And if you have already decided to follow Jesus, would you consider rededicating your life to Him today? Some might find it a bit odd to emphasize in an Easter sermon the indwelling of the Holy Spirit rather than only the cross and the empty tomb. After all, Pentecost isn't for 50 days yet. Here's why I don't think it's so odd, at least. The crucifixion is of the utmost importance. But as important as it is, it points to the resurrection. And the resurrection is of the utmost importance. But as important as it is, it points to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit for those who love and obey God in Christ. And my friends, it still doesn't end there. As precious as I hope your individual personal salvation is to you, it doesn't end there. Often I wonder if we aren't tempted, I know I am, maybe you are too, to take our personal salvation in Christ and run away with it and hide in a corner. Even hide in a church corner somewhere. They make the best hiding places sometimes. 
But that's not what it's designed to do, yours and my salvation. We haven't been raptured away yet, even though we're saved. What's up with that? Must be something left to do, right? Yours and mine and our and anyone's personal salvation serves a greater purpose still. And that purpose is to continue in the ministry of Jesus' love and obedience to God, first and foremost, by loving others, just like Jesus did and still seeks to do through you and through us. Do you want a purpose-driven life? You're not alone. That book's sold a lot of copies. Here's our purpose-driven life. Love and obey God first and foremost by loving others. You want your best life yet or your best life now? You're not alone. That book sold a lot of copies too. Here's our best life yet. Love and obey God first and foremost by loving others. And go figure. It's even what Jesus says we must do to inherit eternal life. Luke 10, 25. You look it up. Someone comes running to him. Great teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know the answer that Jesus gives? Love and obey God, first and foremost, by loving others as yourself. And he tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. And when we do that, love God and others, we become part of the greatest story ever still be told. Jesus' story. And we, so help us God, through our love and obedience, point others to Jesus and invite them too to join in this same truly greatest story ever. Jesus ended this portion of His farewell address to His disciples with the words, Come now, let us leave. Or I've paraphrased them, Come, let's go. I'll end there this morning as well. Come, my friends. Let's go into the world with the very presence of God living in us and through us and show the world the love and obedience of Jesus by being loving and obedient ourselves. Show the world that God is love. John wrote that too. Twice. Case we missed it. So come. Let's go. But first, let's pray. As I'm praying, Soundproof is coming to the stage and they'll leave it, lead us in one last anthem when we're done. And then um, I'll close with a benediction. Father in heaven, Thank you so much for the precious gift of your one and only Son. Thank you for sacrificing the life that He also willingly gave on that old rugged cross so that you once again could have perfect eternal unity with us. Father, you promised that all who love Jesus, you promised that all who love Jesus will obey Him. And you promised that in our loving obedience you will come to us and indwell us and make us your temple, your home, your almighty presence. Oh, Father, help us, give us 
an appreciation and a passion and an urgency to take Your presence in and through us to the world, showing them Your love and Your deep, heartfelt desire to have them join in Your great heavenly kingdom. Thank You, Father, on this day especially. We remember to thank You for calling out to Your Son even as His body lay there in a tomb. Arise, my love. We love You. And in Jesus, the risen Savior's name, all God's people said, Amen. Amen.
morning God's benediction, His blessing, His good words. This morning from 1 John chapter 4. May God grant you the ability, the power, the courage to remember and believe that you are children of God and to remember and believe that the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And so peace indeed be with you. In Jesus, the risen Savior's name, amen. Go in peace. Happy Resurrection Day, West Bowles.